Hello everybody, my name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Today we're going to be discussing a, an article written by Reason Magazine titled Against Game of Thrones Christianity. And we're going to be talking about their advocating David Frenchism. And if the choices on the table are Game of Thrones Christianity or David Frenchism, I'm going Tyrion or Jamie Lannister every single time. And it is a proper biblical choice to choose Game of Thrones Christianity over David Frenchism every single time. So we're going to be diving into this article by Reason Magazine. But first, I want to let you know about a way you can support Evangelical Dark Web and that is we have a Patreon-like system built on evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join, and you can become a paid subscriber with added benefits, uh, more access, more content behind the scenes and uh, on the site. But you should also check out the website itself and the newsletter for daily uh, emails and extra content uh, that doesn't always make it to YouTube. So there's more articles than videos. Uh, and extra stuff, and people who support this get even more benefits on top of that and support a good cause. So, uh, all that's linked in the description below. So, let's dive into the article that we are talking about in today's video. It is called Against Game of Thrones Christianity. It is by Stephanie Slade. And I came across this article because David French was promoting it, and then I saw the thread that she had on Twitter, and it's as cringe as advertised. So, let's dive right on in. First paragraph, I think, sums up. Uh, it's not a straw man, so I give her credit for this. For many members of the so-called New Right, one thing is clear. Classical liberal principles are not getting the job done. And according to this, I would probably be on the New Right. Now, again, I don't believe that people like the people that she lists later in this article represent my views. But nonetheless, if the alternative is classical liberalism, that doesn't represent my views either. So, uh, for the purposes of this article, I largely would fall under the new right perspective, but not completely based off of uh, how she defines its thought leaders. The left, after all, has no comp compunction, that's a new word for me, about using the state to go after conservatives. As far as those illiberal progressives are concerned, Catholic hospitals shouldn't be, should be forced by law to perform abortions, and social media companies should be threatened with regulatory action if they don't agree to scrub their platforms of ideas and information unfavorable to the Democrat Party, Democratic Party. Now, again, I would disagree with the use of the word illiberal in this article. I think they're very liberal. They're very liberal. That's why they're so feminist. That's why they're so pro-homo. That's why we're in, you know, that's why they are the way that they are. They didn't get, they didn't get, the left did not become the left by rejecting liberalism. They became the left by going all the way liberal. And going down and following its logical conclusions. So, instead of a principled commitment 
to limited government and individual liberty. The argument goes conservatives who know what time it is, that's a phrase I use a lot actually, should be willing to use public power to attack their foes. Anything less amounts to unilateral disarmament or even suicide. The stakes in this telling are existential. It is not uncommon to hear that a future Soviet-style persecution awaits those who refuse to embrace a sufficiently muscular response. A new right influencer once told me that liberalism of the American founding, by making conservatives squeamish about fighting fire with fire, was apt to land her in a gulag. Like the famous maxim from Game of Thrones, its vision of politics as a literal war in which you win or you die. And again, this is where the article comes in. And this is kind of the defining of uh, Game of Thrones Christianity, where you're living, where you believe that politics is a zero sum game in which you win or you die. And that is certainly more truthful than the fantasy world that libertarianism is projecting and David Frenchism. It's funny how they're on the same side of this issue. So let's uh, back up and talk about the, uh, this paragraph that talks about knowing what time it is and should be willing to use public power to attack their foes. Uh, because she's going to try to juxtapose this mentality with the Bible. And quite frankly, uh, we're not going to go into one of the major flaws with this premise and libertarianism as a whole yet, but let's just start off with a basic uh, understanding of what the Bible says in Romans 13. The, uh, the government exists to reward evil and, or sorry, reward good and punish evil. It is supposed to be the avenging angel or messenger of God in which evil sin on earth that, you know, specifically the sin that's prescribed a crime in the Bible, but I'm, I'm sure it's not wholly unbiblical to punish sins that aren't necessarily crimes in Scripture. Uh, those sins are supposed to be punished. Murderers are supposed to be put to death. And good deeds are to be rewarded. Now, what type of reward? I'm not entirely sure uh, but you know, I, I'm not, it's not welfare if that's what you're saying, but you know, you're knighted or something, who knows? But in any case, the purpose of government is to be the sword. The government has a sword. That is the tool of the government. They're one sphere of authority. The, the, the church is another sphere. The family is another sphere and self is the fourth tier, a lot of overlap between self and family, obviously. But if you can't control yourself, self-control, that's why it's a form of government. The Bible talks a lot about self-control, especially when you're talking about fruit of the Spirit. And the government is a different animal than the self. The government has a sword. And that sword when properly used, is against evildoers. What we have right now is a government that refuses to use a sword against evil and instead uses a sword against people who are doing good. That is the problem we have in America. 
That is a zero-sum game in which one side says wants to call evil good. The other side doesn't want to stop them. They're suicidal. You know, and just further proof of the suicidal nature of the Republican Party, because let's name names here. They don't realize that election security is job security. You shouldn't fund your enemies. You know, like Planned Parenthood, teachers unions, etc. And you need to actually throw people in jail for corruption. You need to wield the sword of government for good. Because it's a sword. Government is a sword. The Bible says it's a sword. The question is, is that sword going to be used to punish evil and reward good? Or is the sword going to be used to reward evil and punish good? That is the question. So she ends this with a the Game of Thrones maxim, which is said by Cersei in season one of the show, you win or you die. And that is said to a character... Ned Stark, I believe it's said from Cersei to Ned Stark, who is a character who refuses to wield the sword of government because he's the second most powerful person in the government, in the realm, in the kingdom of, of Westeros, in Game of Thrones. He's the second most powerful person, and he refuses to use the sword of government to even investigate what he's actually investigating. Instead, he does very little with his power until the very end in which he's betrayed and doesn't actually use the sort of power to protect his family, uh, you know, even protect his family interest, but waits until he's betrayed and, you know, he loses because he would not use the sword of government. That's why Ned Stark dies. So anyway, that and he didn't bring enough people. Uh, he didn't bring enough bodyguards and then sent half of them to die. It's, it's a tragic figure. But that's what they want us to be. They want us to be Ned Stark. They don't want us to play the game. They don't want us to use the sword of government. They want us to die like Ned Stark. That's the purpose of this article. It's trying to say... Get your head cut off like Ned Stark. And that's a good Christian witness. That is a much better Christian witness than trying to use the sort of government to do good and punish evil. That is what this article is saying. And it's written by a supposed Christian named Stephanie Slade. Perhaps the leading argument for classical liberalism is that it turns down the temperature of our politics by ensuring that the right, even of rights even of minority groups are respected. Good institutions can remove or at least significantly reduce those supposedly life or death stakes. Meanwhile, Americans, by all account, want a government that protects basic rights and liberties, not one that imposes a single moral orthodoxy on the country. However, much of some progressives might wish to do so. Given all of this, perhaps the worst thing conservatives could do is tear down the liberal institutions and norms that keep the left's worst impulses 
in check. You mean the liberal institutions that have all fallen and led to this? The liberal institutions of the FBI? The liberal institutions of academia? What liberal institutions are worth protecting? That is a question that needs to be answered in this article, but it's not. It, there's no specifics named. Instead, we have a straw man, or maybe not necessarily a straw man, but again, I don't think Sora Amari is anyone significant on the right. I just don't. You're a writer. It, it says he's a journalist. I thought he was a columnist for the New York Post, which isn't even a conservative outlet, by the way. But I digress. And I don't know who Adrian Vermeule is at all. This, the, that name means especially nothing to me. But what I, I knew that Amari and David French had a debate back in like 2017. And it's like, neither of you represent my views, so I don't care. I, I always cheer against David French, though, because he's a terrible human being. But I digress. So the problem is... The temperature is already turned up and you want us to unilaterally disarm rather than that. That's what this paragraph was about was us. We need to unilaterally turn the temperature down because them going after our children isn't bad enough. Them locking the country down isn't bad enough. And obviously the economy can't be bad enough. So, and another thing is, is that the government legislates morality. This is another thing that classical liberals and libertarians don't understand, that the government will legislate morality. The question is, whose morality will the government legislate? This is an argument not addressed in the uh, argument here. The, the article doesn't address this. So, I'll skip the part about Sarab. Amari, because I, I don't really care about this is kind of used as a straw man, even if this might technically not be a straw man. At, and then I'll skip to this part, which says at this year's National Conservatism Conference in Miami, a major new right gathering, one speaker after another lamented the things that we've lost under liberal modernity, God, scripture, nation, family. And just to break that down, God and Scripture, I believe, you know, have been largely removed from society. Nation, America is no longer a nation. Like, we, there's nothing that binds us together as a people group. Nothing. Because a nation is a people. But America is too split. We're too fractured to be considered a nation. We're a state. You've heard the term nation. You've heard the term state. And maybe you've also heard the term nation state. We are a state. And then family, which is the unit that's constantly under attack. The irony of this approach, she continues, is that the approach to politics outlined by the new militant conservatives is flatly at odds with an authentic Christian virtue. The new right implies that religious traditionalists have a choice. They can either be the ones inside the gulag or they can be the, make sure that their enemies are. Jesus would never have accepted that bargain. Uh, I got some bad news for you. And also some good news for you. Jesus created that bargain. 
what do you think hell is? It's a gulag of, of sorts. It's a gulag that God created to punish evildoers, to punish the reprobate, to punish Satan and his minions. Those people, the evildoers, Satan and his minions, get to spend an eternity in the unfavorable presence of God. Or they can spend eternity in heaven in the, favor, in the favorable presence of God, in relationship with God. You know, God created the gulag. It's hell. And you don't want to go there. That's the bad news. But the good news is Jesus, you know, his righteousness is credited to the believers. And we get to escape eternal punishment because of the work of Christ. So gospel side note, but not a side note, aside uh, she's painting, again, a zero-sum game. Politics is a zero-sum game, especially at this point. We're not debating Federalist and Anti-Federalist where they were arguing about what type of system would preserve freedom the most. That's If you read those papers, the arguments both sides are making are pretty true, but ultimately they're arguing more towards the same thing, but now... We are two arguing for two completely different nations, two incompatible nations. And that's unsustainable. That's not knowing what time it is, thinking that we can just come together and get along. You don't know what time it is. You just don't. So I'm going to read this next paragraph, and then we're just going to destroy the arguments that uh, Stephanie Slade makes here. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, he says in the Gospel of Matthew. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly Father. These are probably the most radical words in the Bible, and almost certainly the hardest to live by. Yet the very heart of Christian teaching if not necessarily the heart of Christian practice, has always been self-sacrifice, self-emptying, taking up your cross, and laying down your life for, the, for your friends. Now, here's the problem with this article. It mixes categories. When Jesus is talking about love your neighbor and hate your enemy, he's talking about your private, uh, your private enemies. In large part, the Old Testament, let's go back to the Old Testament here, because if you think that this is a radical shift, uh, you have not read Leviticus. So if you think Jesus is being radical here, you have not read Leviticus or Exodus. The law, the Mosaic law, which has several provisions in which you cannot do evil, or even omit good actions using the pretense of that person's my enemy. If your enemy's ox wanders into your field, you are still to take care of it until they retrieve 
and the ownership of the ox is returned. That's in the Old Testament. You're not to take private vengeance against your enemies. That's in the Old Testament. So, first of all, you know, this, this girl don't Old Testament. And I don't think this is as hard to live by if you aligned your enemies with God's enemies. If you align and, you know, stop being, you know, so personal about things. But here's the, here's the category mixing that she's doing. Personal versus government. So she's trying to apply verses that are talking about per, your personal beef with government. These are two different animals. And this is a, a category error that I think is major within libertarianism. I just do. Uh, they conflate nations with people. And you, you see that play out a lot when it comes to a, a lot more uh, international foreign policy discussion. They conflate nations with people. And one area that she gets wholly wrong here is that she's conflating nations with people. She's conflating how you govern a nation with how you deal with private affairs. These are different categories. You know, how I govern my family is going to be different than how, if I were an elder of a church, oversee that church. How I, how, if I was an overseer of a church, govern that church would be different than how, as a civil magistrate, I would govern a nation or even a subdivision of a nation. These are different categories. You are taking a, she is taking a verse and a passage on private matters, self-control, and applying it to governance. We have passages for governance. It's the Mosaic Law. Uh, it's Romans 13. We have passages for this. She's not going to those passages. She's trying to conflate uh, passages on private vengeance with governance. This is a major category error. But wait, there's more. That's that radical countercultural message is too far often absent on the right today. As the Catholic writer Leah Libresco Sargent puts it, a lot of social conservatism has defined virtue down to refraining from certain modern errors rather than living a life shocking in its generosity, courage, etc. And this is how she closes. To truly care about virtue is to recognize that it matters how you win. Ends don't justify means. If conservatives ever did have to choose which side of the barbed wire to be on as the gulag in inmate accepting persecution or the victor carrying it out, there would only be one right answer from a Christian perspective. It isn't the new rights. That's how she closes out, that you should 
submit to the gulag rather than effectively govern so that you don't end up in the gulag. That is the kicker here. So let's break down why this is unbiblical. And seeing from the comments, they're using this, they're misapplying the whole turn the other cheek passage, which is another passage on private vengeance. And it is also not a passage that deals with self-defense of people under your care. So this is this line of thinking, this final paragraph is more in line with John Piper saying, if someone was raping my wife, I would not inter I could not kill that man who's attacking my wife because that would send him to hell. That is John Piper all the way there, that last paragraph. If you are creating in, in society, either by your absence or omission or commission, a society in which you would end up in the gulag, that also means you're creating a, a society in which your family would end up in the gulag. The people under your care would end up in the gulag. What she has done in this final paragraph is given me a self-defense case to send the other people to the gulag. If it's either I'm in the gulag or they, the liberals are in the gulag, I'm pulling the trigger. I'm not ending up in the gulag. I'm not letting my family end up in the gulag. So that the liberal governance can continue rewarding evil and punishing good. This is a nonsense article that exemplifies everything wrong with David Frenchism. And if the choices, and again, this is a little bit of a false dichotomy. If the choices are Game of Thrones Christianity or David Frenchism, I'm going Jamie or Tyrion Lannister all day, every day, especially on the Lord's Day. Obviously, I don't think those are the only two choices that we have. But obviously, when she talks about Game of Thrones Christianity, she's not talking about incest, dragons, and boobies. She's talking about a zero-sum game of politics. Do I believe that politics is a zero-sum game? I don't see how you can be alive today and not see that. There are always winners and losers in politics. Now, especially. It is a zero-sum game. Wake up, know what time it is. And ultimately, the divisions that we see are divisions between evil, those who want to celebrate evil, and the other side, which says, I'm not sure whether I want to stop evil plus the people on that side that actually want to stop evil. That's the division we see in our country. And if you don't know what time it is, you're going to let the evil people by default run all over you. And to do nothing in the face of evil is very low of character, very poor Christian witness. And 
you know, there are definitely examples in Christian history in which uh, it was the patriarch or bishop of Alexandria who handed the country over to Muslims, who surrendered to Muslims, and I believe he was denounced as a heretic for that. But nonetheless, we see examples of this in Christian history. It doesn't end well. However, when the sword of government is used to advance Christendom to smash idols, we get Christendom in nations. That's a fact of history. You know, Europe, Europe wasn't Christianized wholly peacefully. The sword of government was used to punish evil. To punish idolatry. That's a fact. So, with that said, if you like this video, subscribe to the channel. If you disagree, leave a comment below. And if you stuck around this long and haven't subscribed yet, do so. But, otherwise, have a blessed day. We will catch you on the next one. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.